Dr. Marvella Ford is the Associate Director of Population Sciences and Cancer Disparities at the Medical University of South Carolina Hollings Cancer Center. She is also the Smart State Endowed Chair in Prostate Cancer Disparities for South Carolina State University. Dr. Ford conducts research that identifies and addresses the disparities in cancer diagnosis and treatment success due to race, geography, and other socioeconomic factors. She is considered a leader on several projects examining access to health care, particularly in South Carolina. In this episode of Let's Talk, Dr. Ford describes her experiences as a breast cancer patient, not once, but twice. She says her personal experience makes her an empathetic and committed care provider and researcher. cancer surgeon and and she called and it was it was about six o'clock and I thought oh that's nice still in such denial like, oh how nice of her to call me right mm -hmm. <laughs> so she called and I said oh hello how are you like as if we were just in conversational mode and I could hear her baby crying in the background and yet I was still in denial because it's obvious that if a breast cancer surgeon is calling you at 6 p.m taking time away from her own family and her own babies crying in the background, something pretty serious is going on. Mm -hmm. But I still treated it just like a conversation until she said, I'm sorry to have to tell you, but you, we, we sent the biopsy to pathology and you have breast cancer. After she said, you have breast cancer, all I heard was wind in my ears. It was just like there was a wind blowing and um, I just, she, I asked her the details and she told me, and it was odd because I could hear her voice, but I just could not mentally process what she was saying. And I said, excuse me, would you mind repeating that again? I, I wasn't following. She said it again. And I still could not, I heard her voice, but I could not understand what she was saying. And finally, the third time I, I said, you know what? I am not processing what you're saying. If you tell me, I'm going to write down what you're saying. And then a little bit later, after I've had a chance to review it, could I call you if I have any questions? And she said, absolutely. And that's one thing I would advise people to do. I mean, at the point when you're diagnosed, you may not have anybody with you. Like there was no one with me in the room when she was giving me this news. All I could do was write down what she said. And I would advise other people to do the same. Just write it down. Word for word, you don't have to understand it. Just write it down. And then later, when you've had a chance to process it, then you can go through, and if, if there are any questions, then follow up with the physician. That really worked well for me. And she was very, um, and she was so patient. Every time I asked her to repeat, she repeated it, but I realized it didn't matter how many times she repeated it, I was not able to process it in that space of just getting the news that I had breast cancer. The cancer was diagnosed at stage zero, which is great news. However, 
sometimes people aren't aware that there's stage and grade for a cancer diagnosis. So um, the stages are generally one, two, three, and four. Stage zero is ductal carcinoma in situ, which means um, it's a very early, early uh, stage cancer. However, the grade of the cancer was grade three, which is the highest grade. That's an indication that the cancer may be more aggressive. The cancer was caught so early, there was no actual tumor. There was cancer tissue, but a tumor had not formed yet. The cancer tissue was very widespread across the breast. Um, I had what's called a lumpectomy, where the surgeon goes in and takes out all the cancerous tissue. And she had to take a lot of tissue out because it was very widespread throughout the breast. The cancer had not spread to the lymph nodes. It was, it was very early. So the treatment was uh, radiation therapy. There, it's specific and unique for every single person. And so what happens is a targeted beam goes just to the area of the body that needs the radiation and not anywhere else. It's wonderful. It's almost, you can imagine a laser light going through the, um, through the air and landing on your chest. It's very similar to that kind of image, as opposed to your entire chest being radiated. So mm-hmm. I had um, radiation therapy for uh, seven and a half weeks. It's five days a week for seven and a half weeks. And I felt very blessed because my office at the time was actually in the Hollings Cancer Center. So wow. I would go in for, I mean, <laughs> how much easier could it get? I felt almost guilty because I know that there are people who travel really far and some people travel far and they actually have to stay in Charleston for the seven and a half week period if they live far away. So I felt really blessed. I'm also grateful that there are a lot of housing options for people because I wanted to explore well, what is available for other people. There are housing options. There are, there are um, nurse navigators who will work with patients to help make sure that they have what they need to get through the therapy. So. I was cancer-free after 2008, and then I was going back every year for my mammograms, and I know that many women can relate. After you've had breast cancer, whenever you go back for your yearly mammograms, that can be a time of anxiety. So I think it's good if you can take someone with you or meditate, pray, and get yourself ready because we have to keep getting our mammograms. We cannot let fear stop us from getting our mammograms. Fear will not keep a cancer from growing if it's there. Fear will not stop a cancer from growing. That's really yes. powerful. You know, we get so afraid and it's, it's like we stick our head in the sand. But while we're doing that, the cancer is still growing, potentially. Tell me what happened after your routine mammograms every year after your cancer diagnosis. After you've had breast cancer, the mammograms then change from screening mammograms to diagnostic mammograms. They're still mammograms, but now they're done in the category of diagnostic mammograms because there's already been a cancer diagnosis. And so now they're checking to see if there's any sign of additional cancer. So after five years from um, 2008 and 2013, I had an abnormal mammogram. And once again, I, I just could not I thought, that's impossible. Not again. There's no way. Just I just couldn't accept it. 
Were um, you terrified? That, oh my goodness, yes. Absolutely terrified. And and again in denial thinking there's no way that is that's gotta be impossible. But it was possible and it and it, and it did happen. So once again, thankfully, because of getting mammograms, the cancer was caught at stage zero once again, which is a tremendous blessing. Again, grade three. Um, and because this new cancer was in a different quadrant of the breast, it was clear that it was not just um, a growth of the previous cancer, it was a new cancer. And so because I had two different cancers in the same breast, the treatment at that point was mastectomy. People, people who have not had breast cancer should understand that for most women, if you have something on your body that will kill you, most women say, take it off. I would rather live, rather live. And I actually had reconstruction surgery on the same day as the mastectomy. So first the mastectomy was done, and then the reconstruction, reconstructive surgery was done immediately afterwards. And I had, again, the same breast cancer surgeon as the first time, she's marvelous. And I had a, um, another surgeon from plastic surgery who actually did the, uh, the reconstruction. And it was kind of funny because for the reconstruction, I had what's called a DIEP, D-I-E-P, flap procedure, F-L-A-P. And it's awesome because I have a hip-to-hip incision but what they did was basically a tummy tuck. And I thought, yes. <laughs> it's amazing. They, they do the incision from hip to hip and they take fat out of the abdomen mm-hmm. and use it to create a breast. It's just amazing what can be done these days. So I walked out with, yes, a new breast and a tummy tuck. <laughs> I was a happy camper. <laughs> Your attitude about all of this and continuing to express gratitude for the early detection, the the uh, empathetic surgeons, you know, the procedures that were available to you, it's a very impressive thing to witness how you have found reasons to be grateful through all of these really challenging experiences. I am very grateful, and I, I am a woman of faith, so I, I truly thank God. I, I really thank Him, and um, my own experiences have really supercharged my, me and my efforts through the Holland's Cancer Center and my role there to help make sure that medically underserved people have access to cancer screening, early detection, mammography. Um, because I had access and I'm very grateful and it's wonderful that the great work at the Hollings Cancer Center, we have um, a mobile unit that goes out to rural communities and provides mammograms and we've provided mammograms to nearly 25,000 women since 2006 and we did a survey several years ago, 80%, 80% of the women who were screened on the mobile health unit, so they would not have had a mammography if it hadn't been for the mobile health unit. Access to care is very important. Absolutely, and I I felt very blessed, and I'm really um, excited to 
be able to work at the Hollings Cancer Center and carry out initiatives to take that same access to other people in the community. You are someone who looks at disparities all the time. You are a trained, talented professional, but going through it personally, was it different? Going through it personally, I am, I mean, I know we keep talking about gratitude, but I'm really grateful for my experiences because I think they've helped me to see this process from the perspective of a patient. And I think that's really helping me to engage with people in the community from that perspective, because I've, I've been the patient in the bed with a group of physicians standing around the bedside. What do you recommend people um, think about and work toward in, in terms of eliminating some of the health disparities, particularly those we see here in South Carolina? So many of the health disparities are related to the social determinants of health and access to care. And so there are a lot of wonderful federally qualified health centers throughout the state. And I would really recommend if people have no, if they, if they have no access or no perceived access, just reach out to a federally qualified health center. They are amazing. They're located all throughout the state. We also have rural health centers in the state. And we're doing a lot of work um, to take cancer information to the I-95 corridor of South Carolina, which is um, very medically underserved and a high-need area. What, In terms of what people can do, the great news on the individual level is that the same activities, the same health, the same behaviors that reduce cancer risk or risk of cancer recurrence or coming back again are the same behaviors that reduce risk for heart disease and diabetes. So, you know, trying to get enough sleep at night, sometimes that means turning the television off to be able to go to sleep. Um, Doing something physically active for 150 minutes per week. That's 30 minutes a day, five days a week, doing something. It could be walking, riding a bike, doing some going up and down stairs in your house, doing an exercise video on television. Um, just something for 30 minutes a day, five days a week is all it takes. That's, that's what the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention tell us. That's the minimum amount of time you need to stay healthy. 30 minutes a day, five days a week. And then eating, just trying to eat well. It doesn't mean doing anything extreme. It just means saying, um, if you have a choice, trying to make the healthier choice. Getting some vegetables in. You know, eating things that look like where they came from. Mm -hmm. Those behaviors are great. Never thought I would embark on a breast cancer journey because I was not aware of anyone in my family with breast cancer. And um, at the time, um, it's very, I think it's important for people to understand that breast cancer, there is some uh, hereditary link 
But most breast cancer cases that are diagnosed do not have a hereditary link. So many people diagnosed with breast cancer may not know of anyone else in their families who've had breast cancer. So that's why it's really important for all of us to get screened for breast cancer on a regular basis and to follow the screening guidelines for breast cancer. Because if we're just, if, if we think, well, nobody in my family had it, so I'm not at risk, that is, that's uh, a false assumption. And it, and it could lead to um, a cancer being diagnosed later. Dr. Marvella Ford, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for sharing your personal story and your journey and offering suggestions as to those who might receive a similar diagnosis, how they can move forward, and also things that all of us can do right now to improve our lives and our lifestyle. So thank you so much for sharing this information. Very important stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by David Dixon and Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time. Uh-huh.